You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and as February nears an end and spring approaches, tonight we're delighted to have Theresa Story from the Green Apron in studio to talk to us about foraging, which, as you all know, is the perfect springtime activity to get us outdoors. A visit to the Kingdom presents the ideal opportunity for me to call to Mark Doe in the Just Cooking Cookery School to get the latest news on the Apprentice Chef programme. And my travels to Limerick mean a visit to dog-friendly Shayla Fab for some canine conversation and a random act of kindness that involves warm coats. Before we get into all of that, you might wish to get in touch with me here at the show and you can do so by dropping me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at queenoforg as in Queen of Organisation. Now, our first guest on the show has visited the Best Possible Taste studio on a few occasions in the past, most recently last year when her book Fruit on the Table was published. Tonight, Theresa Story from The Green Apron is here to talk about a series of spring foraging talks that we can all look forward to in the coming months. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Teresa, you're welcome to the studio this evening. Thank you very much, Sharon. Spring is fast approaching, thank God, says we all. Thank you. So a Lord. brilliant time of the year to get out and about and foraging is one of your passions in life. It really is. Um, as a botanist, I, I love all plants, but I especially love free food. And at this time of the year, when we're so kind of run down after Christmas, you can hear my rundownness from my sneeziness. Um, it's time to start getting those spring greens into us. Nettles. Um, it is the main one that we have but we're, it's also time for wild garlic to start dandelions and we're also picking a lot of sticky mickey or cleavers these are all very interesting items now that we'll have to describe in detail because people including myself might not have a clue what they look like and foraging you make it sound like it's so easy but it's something you've been doing from a child mom had us out picking nettles and picking all the wild fruit but we also had a lot of nettle soup when we were growing up and I still feed everybody nettle soup yeah you're supposed to have at least three batches that's the old wives tale before May when the nettles get really strong and they become laxative so nobody wants that so um yeah so what we would do is we would make a leek and potato soup and add a couple of handfuls of nettle because nettle can be quite a strong iron flavor so you just hide it and things so it's a bit like seaweed, the way that people might put a bit of seaweed in for seasoning or flavouring into a soup or different dishes that, again, it's not the really strong flavour of there, but you're getting the benefits of it and the goodness of it. Absolutely. Nettle is fantastic. They recommend it for cleaning your blood, but it's also a really good medicinal plant. So from birth till death nearly, I give it to my teenager for hormonal balancing and helping with her acne it's really good for breastfeeding women because it helps let milk down they in fact used to feed it to cows a lot to increase their milk yield it's good for menopausal and premenopausal women because it helps with osteoporosis because there's a lot of calcium and other minerals and it's good for prostate problems in men so it's just brilliant you should be firing it into you at the moment and it's very plentiful also very plentiful Do you know any bit of disturbed ground will usually have nettles i would say be very careful where you're picking and make sure that it's not too close to a path where people have been walking dogs make sure nobody's been spraying and it's not too close to the road because of the pollution yeah yeah Yeah. okay and nettles is something that i think most people can identify even i can identify nettles yes So I know they sting. So how do you pick them? What's your advice in terms of picking them that you don't come away looking for a pile of dog and leaves also? Well, I kind of just pick them. (laughs) I I pick with the very tips of my fingers. I have arthritis and nettles are actually really good for arthritis. So I don't mind. It kind of distracts from the pain in my joints. But use light gloves. There are ways of folding over the leaves. But at this time of the year, the leaves are so little that you just nip the top couple of leaves and the stem and just use the whole lot. So the stem and everything. The young, very young stems. The leaves are about half an inch to an inch long at the moment. So when you take the nettle tops, you're getting maybe six leaves and an inch and a half a stem. It's soft. It'll whiz down to nothing. So you put it into soup. Nettle tea is something that is quite popular. It is. You can buy nettle tea in most health food stores. We used to have it in college, actually, um, after we'd been drinking. 
to try and clean ourselves out. But it's, again, really filled with minerals. And it's also a diuretic, so it uh, takes any swelling down. So Okay. And if you were to make tea with it, what, what is it? You just infuse it, basically? Yes. Okay. I, I would actually dry it first because there can... All, I haven't read about it, but anecdotal evidence has said that there might be an issue if you're really allergic to bees and things like that, if you don't dry it first. Or co- always cook your nettles just to be sure. Don't, don't whiz them up raw in a smoothie. The other green item, we'll call it, that would be very popular whenever it comes to foraging is wild garlic. People will be making wild garlic pesto soups, lots of different things from it but it is something that I would not instantly recognize the leaves are about five inches long and they look kind of like a lily leaf long and thin and pointed you know where I find them is um, in deciduous woodland usually where there's an old posh house and I think that they're when they say wild it means it's naturalized it's not actually wild and native I can be I could be wrong but where you seem to find it Curra Chase all through the paths there in the next month there'll be wild garlic everywhere and, and is that because De Beer House yes. inhabitants years ago had planted had yeah. gardeners that I, would have planted I, I would presume so okay. yeah, yeah. Um, also in say six weeks there'll be lots of little uh, white flowers and that's how you'll recognise it there'll be just this carpet of white flowers and it stinks of garlic as you walk past you can smell it and can you eat the flowers as well you as, eat the flowers as, the as well um, don't dig up the bulbs some people do but the tops have just all the same flavor and at least you've got the bulbs left for next year and mostly we just whiz it up with a little bit of olive oil and that's our pesto and then we'd freeze ice cube amounts of it and use that all through the year to go into soups and different things okay Now, dandelions. Dandelions or pissy beds. Yeah, I could recognize dandelions also. Um, Those are a really good blood cleaner. At this time of the year, anything that's shooting in green, you're getting a big blast of chlorophyll, a lot of uh, nutrients. And it also is a diuretic. And I always take it with me when I go to Spain because hot weather doesn't agree with me. Neither does all the red wine and stuff. So it helps take down any kind of swelling. And... You can either just eat the leaves in salads. They are, they can be strong, but sometimes you can find a dandelion that's not strong. And uh, traditionally in Ireland, they would eat it on slices of brown buttered bread. So, and like you all of it, the flower bits. The they would stalk, eat the leaves the like leaves. that. And how I eat the flowers is we take the green off the ends until you're just left with the petals, and you put them into pancakes or fritters. So when Pancake Tuesday comes and everybody's got their batter, start throwing the dandelion flowers in hugely nutritious you can't taste anything and you've added great health to yourself wow okay and then sticky mickey sticky mickey everybody laughs about this it's also called goosegrass or sticky back so in june when your dog comes in and it's covered in all these tiny little burrs about pea size that's sticky mickey or goosegrass and it grows underneath hedges and in disturbed ground and we you all recognize it it's really good for cleaning your system, it cleans your blood and cleans out your lymph system. So you just fry that up like in a stir fry or I add it to smoothies and I would also add it to soups. Okay. So, so there's lots of different options there for foraging and you yourself have said that as growing up as a child, this is something that you did. Very much so, yeah. With your family. But you also have a botany degree and you have a couple of books that you would refer to quite regularly. When we were growing up, we had two books. We had Richard Maybe's Food for Free. It was published in 1972. I know Collins have done a smaller version of it, the Collins Gem Food for Free. And I think it's been completely republished. We use that all the time. And he has pictures. He's got every kind of bit of information for the more common plants. And then our other favorite book was Wild and Free, Cooking from Nature by Cyril and Kit O'Karen. I, we made everything from that. I made nettle beer when I was in college from it. It's brilliant. And they're local. They seem to, they seem to have lived in Limerick and in Clare. So it, it was published in 1979. And then they've just republished it in 2013. So that's easily available. You mentioned there Curachia, so it's probably full of lots of different things in addition to what you've just mentioned there. And where you live yourself in West Limerick, your own land, is it full of foraging items? We, 
we're really lucky. We've got a lot of wild garlic in the in, uh, at the edge of the walled garden, and then some of the fields around. The whole sides of them are filled with damsons. You know, somebody planted a hundred and something years ago. And also, we've got a lot of crab apples because we're where a couple of different townlands meet, and where townlands change from one to the other. They used to plant crab apples as a so that you would know you were changing townland. So we're really, really lucky. And of course, that's where all the the many ingredients come from for the green. For all our wild produce. Yeah, yeah. And I've planted a lot of extra as well. Elderberries really, really fantastically healthy. So we've put in another um, 50 trees and I'm hoping to put in a couple of hundred this year because it tastes delicious and it's a really good antiviral and fixes your flu right up. So in terms of what people need to watch out for, because if you're into foraging for mushrooms, there's so much can go wrong there if you don't know what you're doing. If you're foraging for green items, do you still need to be as vigilant? You really do, because some of the things are extremely poisonous. I would say get a really, really good plant book with photographs, not one with drawings, because often the drawings you're looking at are going, Who, I have no idea what that is. So get one with photographs. There's a couple of British wildflower books. There's also a really good website called Wildflowers of Ireland, and she takes pictures. She's based down in Cork, and she takes pictures of everything. It's amazing. So I would use that as a reference. And you can also pull it up on your phone and be looking going, uh, okay. Is there a chance that over time, is, is it better to have a book that is more current, like some of those books there you mentioned are 1972, have flowers and, and wildlife, has it evolved over time? Can it look a lot different today than it did 100 years ago? No, no. Okay. Not, is that not. a really stupid question? No, uh, no. It, uh, what we're looking at now and we're thinking about is actually one of the issues is going to be climate change is going to change what we we have growing. Uh, an interesting thing is London has, around the outskirts of London where the freight yards were, they have ridiculous amounts of jungle plants and stuff and all because they've come in on freight from all around the world and they're spreading out as the climate changes. So we're gonna be looking at something like that as well. That stuff that would normally be frosted out that are illegal aliens are all of a sudden going to be taking over or that the seasons don't dictate so much what is available because the seasons are so confusing now because of climate change yes and i'm finding that with my plums they're uh, flowering before i have any kind of pollinators out and i'm not going out with a paintbrush to 50 plum trees so you're not going out with a paintbrush yeah to pollinate them each flower individually so yeah i'm just no. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work. Yes. M- more work than those plums are worth. <laughs> so you're going to do a series of walks and talks during the spring. And I'd imagine that tourists to the area, you do take private groups out from time do, to time yes. as well. So if somebody wants to join a group walk, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you or um, to find out if there's one on? Um, I would say look at our website, which is thegreenapron.ie. And also keep abreast of our Facebook page, which is The Green Apron. Okay, great. Well, thanks for coming in tonight. It's very interesting. I will have to come out with you sometime. You will. And we'll have nettle soup and nettle pesto. And I'll get a closer look at the sticky Mickey. Yes. Yeah. All right. Great. Listen, all the best with it. And thanks for coming in tonight. Thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. Just before the break, Theresa Story from The Green Apron joined us in studio to talk about foraging. And if you want to find out more about the foraging talks that she'll be giving and walks that she'll be giving in the coming months, you can do so by visiting The Green Apron Facebook page. Still to come tonight, I travel to the heart of Limerick City to visit a dog-friendly Shayla Fab for some canine conversation and a random act of kindness involving coats. Next, so we're going to head down the country to the Kingdom. The Apprentice Chef programme, it's in its fifth year and it's designed to encourage secondary year students not only to consider a culinary career, but to embrace healthy eating. Mark Doe from the Just Cooking Cookery School in Fieries in County Kerry is one of the initiative's founders and I 
sat down with him to get a reminder about the fundamentals of the programme and to find out what his vision is for it for the future. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. Mark, I can't believe it's the fifth year of the Apprentice Chef programme, which is its for transition year students. But just remind the listeners, we've spoken on a number of occasions, in fact, probably every year of the programme about it, but just remind the listeners what exactly it is. So I suppose the Apprentice Chef programme, it's really kind of about a few things, really. We're, we're kind of trying to encourage uh, students, you know, from second year, actually, uh, to kind of eat healthier and see the benefits of eating good mood food and a healthier diet, you know, teaching them, I suppose, the basis of cooking, uh, the benefits of fresh food, and we're also aiming at promoting the food industry as a career choice or as third level. So, you know, that could be becoming a chef, ideally, with a shortage of chefs, or it could be going into food development or food science or any of the areas, home economics, etc. So we're, we're kind of, that, that's the, the two main areas that we're hitting, really. The format then is you start off in October time and you have, is it master classes you have where they come to truly IT? Yeah, so basically uh, schools are, invent, uh, sorry, are invited uh, to attend workshops at truly IT and the workshops would basically explain what the project is about. It's very much a project, not a competition. So it explains what the project is about, what's expected from the students, you know, how they can move forward. Uh, they're also giving cookery demonstrations on the day. And they're showing maybe four or five dishes that kind of reflect good mood food, uh, fresh ingredients, non-convenience, etc. We also have a nutritional therapist, Susie Cox, who gives the students a talk on nutritional therapy. Okay, so why certain foods are good for them, what they should be eating, good fats, bad fats, etc. And the students also get a tour of the IT truly facilities as well, you know, to try and promote the IT as a third level choice. Susie's input is really very important and I've heard her talking before about the good mood food and explaining to the students how what they're putting into their bodies can affect their skin, their mental health and and really just how their day goes in general. Yeah, Susie's brilliant at that, in all fairness. You know, she's uh, she puts it in kind of a fun way and, and you know, she, she doesn't say, look, you can't be eating junk food, you know, but you... You can eat it occasionally. It should be a special occasion, etc. And Susie's really good at getting across that, you know, when students are studying what they should be eating for brain health, like you say, mental health, for their skin, etc. And she really gets the, the point across that we should all be eating fresh local produce rather than opening jars of convenience food. And she, she's fantastic at that, in all fairness, you know. It's brilliant. The next stage after the master classes, mm. then, and a number of the students decide, yep, I'm interested in going forward in the mm. process. And at that stage, then, they're assigned a mentor. Yeah, so basically, they go back to the schools. Uh, there's usually 15 students invited from each school to attend the workshops. And then two students and those 15 students can submit a project to us to go further. Uh, and we can only take two at the moment, which is logistically, it's just not possible to take more than two students. Uh, so then those two students submit their project to us, their piece of project work, fantastic projects. Uh, the projects will include their chosen dish, nutritional value, a time plan, photographic evidence, etc. And then those students uh, then assign a mentor, either myself or Louise Brosnan. And uh, the mentor then works with that student over a period of usually around five or six weeks, I suppose, to improve their dish for a cook-off. So, you know, the dishes may come in and it may literally be three balls of spider and a piece of chicken, you know, and that's what they can be, you know. So the mentor's job then is to kind of, you know, get a feel for the student's cooking abilities, I suppose, in their project and then improve their dish. And it really works. I mean, it really does work. I mean, we have had that kind of three balls of mash and chicken that have gone on to be be really fantastic dishes. So it's a vital part of the Apprentice Chef is the fact that they kind of have their own mentor chef online, literally 24-7, and it is literally 24-7, that they can contact. And we'd be sending them recipes, videos, photos, etc., looking at their time plans to make sure they can produce their dish in an hour and a half. And I think that's what kind of makes this quite unique in the fact that they do build up quite a relationship with their mentor chef over the five or six weeks or even longer if they go through to the next stage. And to go through the next stage mm. then you have to whittle the numbers down to how many is it? Well last year we whittled it down to 27 finalists which was up massively on the last few years actually. Uh, so you know there is then they have to cook offs you know, so, that, so they've been working with their mentor and they have to cook offs in IT where they have to cook one portion of their dish 
and it's judged by independent judges, industry leading chefs and Susie on the nutritional value. Very transparent because we have to be. And uh, for those cook-offs there is the students, you know, the, the successful students go on to the uh, finale. Uh, which was 27 students last year. And this year, for the first time, there's students from Waterford, from Wexford and Tipperary involved. Yeah, we, we've uh, been looking at kind of growing across the province of Munster for the last two years. Uh, and this year we managed to get Waterford IT on board. Uh, and Tony Barry there, the head of, head of school or head of department, uh, really, really knowledgeable guy actually. And we're lucky enough to have had their facilities this year. So it's been able to, it's enabled us to invite schools from Waterford, Wexford, Tipperary, it's closer for them. So there will be a cook-offs taking off in Waterford this year. Uh, the finale will still be in IT truly, but it's just, you know, it means that we can get that corner of Munster, which we haven't been able to have yet. So it's fantastic, great support. It's a serious operation, the final now, because they mm. are there in their chef whites. Mm and they're in a professional kitchen mm. environment mm. so they have all that pressure as well as all the resources that you would have in a professional kitchen and mm. you know I'd, you know they're young 15 yeah, they're 16 young, yeah. years yeah. of age mm. so it's really fantastic that they get when they get to that stage and when you see what they're capable of oh absolutely i mean like you know i suppose when we set this up the one thing we wanted it to be was professional Firstly, so that's hence the uniforms uh, and, and the students are in a full chef's uniform. They love that. They get to keep that. They look the part, Sharon, you know, I think this is the thing. And the way they conduct themselves in the kitchen is just, uh, it's mind-blowing stuff. I mean, like you, you'd you'd walk into a lot of professional kitchens in the country and you wouldn't see chefs behaving the way they behave, you know. It's absolutely amazing. But, you know, I think they go into a professional kitchen, they put very much at ease. The mentor chef's there helping them on the day. We don't put any pressure on them. You know, and the one thing you'll notice is that when they're working in the kitchen and you see it from the videos and the pictures, they're always smiling. You know, they're really happy to be there. And, you know, they, they, they just raise to the occasion fantastically. In fact, every single student that we've had take part in this over the years has just been fantastic under the pressure and in the kitchen. And they've practiced their dishes, they've got their time plans and what they do in an hour and a half is, is phenomenal, you know. In the last four years, can you pinpoint one standout dish that really blew you away? <sighs> one standout dish? I mean, like, you know, we've had some outstanding dishes. I mean, last year, George Hennessy's dish was a beautiful dish, the, the lamb with the beetroot reduction, etc. A really, really, really well executed dish. I still think Stephanie Kearney, who won the year before last, her dish, what started off as a piece of sea bass on the julienne of... Uh, courgette and carrot and then with mentoring her we kind of developed it into this dish that had a beautiful shellfish bisque some potato gnocchi like the best shellfish bisque i've ever tasted in my life i think her dish still stands out really as the one that was amazing how it developed how it evolved and that was down to stephanie as well her piece of project work she put into us we say 1500 words I think when we counted her project was was close to 7,800 words. It was like a thesis. It was like, it really was. You know, it was absolutely outstanding. That dish definitely stands out for me. But then we had a lovely beetroot burger from uh, Podrick Randall's from Kemere last year, which actually got featured in the Recovery Haven cookbook. Uh, we put that in there for him. That was an amazing dish, you know. And so, is there one dish? Stephanie's was good, you know. It was, it was, a, it was just very well... And, very well put together. It's know. amazing what you say there about Podrig's dish mm. going into that cookbook because the the winning dishes last year were all mm. featured in Easy Food magazine. Right. So there yep. must be for the students mm. to see mm. their dish, their recipe, yep. a picture of their finished product in a national magazine like that. Oh, it it must be huge. Oh, it must be huge for them. You know, they must take a lot of pride in it. I mean, we take a lot of pride in it when we see it. You know, in, in the publications, and I think for a student to see that is is brilliant. You know. Uh, and rightly so because they, they, they put so much work into it they really do and uh, you know it's the amount of emails we get as mentors you know like I was mentoring this morning I think I have around uh, maybe around 28 students to mentor this year something along those lines and uh, I opened my email this morning and I'd say 12 or 13 and got back to me this morning you know so, so they're really on the ball keen really to get moving the yeah they are and they, they they you know as soon as they get the mentoring they're more questions they're sending back pictures and they're sending back this it's fantastic you know fantastic 
We must talk about prizes now. Prizes, yeah. a, It's always nice to get a bit of a prize and Absolutely. the prizes are very good. And we've mentioned mm. the Easy Food magazine mm. there. Yeah, like that's, that's part right. of the prize yes, that they, they do a spread mm. and your recipe is included there. And I think there's a subscription to the magazine yeah. as well. Mm. What other prizes are on offer? Well, I suppose all the students that take part get the Apprentice Chef uniform once they get through to the cook-offs. And then all finalists uh, will get a specially commissioned Ambry chopping board they get a copy of the Just Cooking Cookbook. Uh, they get a lovely certificate. Uh, and then we have kind of runner-up prizes and best projects. And then you go on to get in the chopping boards, the uniform, the cookbook. And they'll get a really nice set of professional chef knives, you know, to the value. Some, you know, some of the chef's knife sets we've had over the years have been 150, 180 euros in value or even just one knife. Uh, and then, you know, you have the finalists and they get a uh, 1,000 euro put all in school to spend on kitchen utensils uh, they also get a professional chopping knife usually again 150 180 euros they get a specially commissioned chopping board much larger than the other ones from Embry and they get the trophy the the trophy made by Embry boards as well but uh, they and get it's a very there. unusual it's trophy. a really unusual trophy like and uh, you know it's made from wood from the National Park in Killarney, as far as I know, and it's shaped as a chef's hat. Yeah, it's um, lovely. It's, it's lovely. very different. Yeah, yeah, it's very different. So that goes to the winning school for the year. Uh, again, the subscription for Easy Food. It looks like possibly going to be on TV3 cooking their winning dish this year and possibly maybe doing something with Easy Food magazine on food styling and photography. So, you know, it's a fantastic prize. And plus, every student that takes part as well, you know, what I think makes it quite unique as well, Sharon, is they all have you know, this world of knowledge around them. If they want to go on to third level or go on to the food industry, they can contact us anytime and we'll help them. You know, I've had emails from uh, previous winners that are looking at doing chefing as a career. They're not 100% sure what's their best option to get into college. And we take our time to reply to them, you know, and I think that's a really important part of it because you only have one decision in life to your career. You want to make the right one. Well, um, I think, you see, like that's all credit to you and your fellow mentors mm, mm. that they feel that they can approach you after the, yeah. the actual project mm, or the programme is mm. finished because, you know, you often come across in life, people mm. would say, well, give me a shout. But then whenever it comes to it, you think, well, can I give them a shout mm. or is it too late to give them a shout? Yeah. So you obviously really work on building up that relationship and that rapport with them. Absolutely. It's really important to us. And I mean, even down to the stage now where what we're looking at doing is the next step is to, you know, basically put together a work experience programme for kind of 12 leading hotels and restaurants in Munster. So if the students are serious about going into the industry, we'll send them to one of these places for work experience, but there will be serious structures in place. They won't just be thrown into a corner. You know, they'll have to be trained on their work experience. Or if they go for summer work, they'll have to be trained. So there's like a curriculum nearly like a for curriculum. it. You have to tick these Absolutely. boxes that because you're not doing the kitchen porter type you're not doing, activity. And you are learning. There'll be a training program. This is the next, the next stage that we're looking at. But uh, that will be vital, you know, because, it, you know, we can do the apprentice chef, professional kitchens, etc. Unfortunately, students can go to places where they're not going to maybe be treated that well or they're not going to learn. And that can turn them off the industry altogether. You know, so for us, that's the next stage. That's a really important part of it, you know, to have that. Well, it's well publicised that there is a chef crisis mm. in Ireland at the mm. moment that we don't have enough people mm. to fill the rules, and mm. especially in an area like Kerry, where you're based, yep. where food tourism mm. is is a major mm. economic driver mm. for the region, and this is something that's really contributing or trying to support that. Well, I think so. You know, we are trying to, you know, we are trying to encourage these students to go into chefing, number one, but food generally, you know. And uh, it's a good it's a good starting point for them, to be honest, you know, because they they are working with, with with good mentors and good chefs and seeing the best facilities. So it is a great starting point for them. And you know, there has been students now that have taken part in this uh, that have gone on to third level, you know, which is fantastic to see culinary arts and CIT etc. So it's great, you know. And uh, a lot of them actually that have done this. Stephanie went on to work in, in Paddy Bunyan during the summer in the kitchens. And in all fairness, you know, speaking to the chef there and the owner, they said she was one of the best students I've had to go through their kitchen. It's fantastic. You know? And Stephanie is looking at food-related. She's not 100% sure what yet, but she is looking at a food-related industry. You know, it's just brilliant, brilliant, you know. 
Well, the first five years, mm. like hugely successful, where do you see it going in the next five years? You've obviously mm. spread out from Kerry and Limerick and Cork now to Wexford, mm. to Waterford, to Tipperary. Mm. How, how do you get it to the next step? Well, I suppose the next level for us is, is to get, I suppose, more of Munster next year uh, and then move it to a, a, another, another region, I suppose. It's... You know, it's funding is the big issue for us at the moment, but we're working on that. Uh, I suppose that the, the, the future goal of it really, Sharon, over the next five years is to have it national, you know, uh, similar to the entrepreneur programme, etc. This is our bigger dream, you know, that we'd have hubs around the country that would be running this for us. Uh, will it happen? I think it will uh, eventually, you know, but obviously the bigger picture is to go to as many secondary schools as we can, which I think is 723 in the country, which would open it up to thousands of students. Now, logistically, that's tough, you know, but then five years ago we had eight schools taking part and we thought that was logistically a nightmare and now we spread ourselves out. So, you know, it's, it's, it might be a bit of a slow process, but uh, once we once we get some kind of funding, uh, it'll, Hopefully moving on a lot quicker. But we're very happy with the way it's gone. Well, you've a, you have a great team behind you there mm. from your mm. colleagues at Tralee IT and Louise, as you mentioned there, she's so, based yeah. in Dingle and mm. he does restaurant there mm. in Dingle. And of course, your other half, Bernie, is, yeah. a, is, a, is, a, well. is a huge mm. member of yeah. the team as well. Mm. So congratulations on the success so. so far. We look mm. forward to, to finding out who the winner is mm. for, for this year and where it goes from there. And thanks for telling me all about it today, Mark. Um, well, thank you. You supported it as well, very well, as well, Sharon, with the show and stuff. And you have kind of always believed in it, which actually is fantastic. So thank you. My pleasure. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to the best possible taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the programme tonight, Teresa Story from The Green Apron joined us in the studio to talk about foraging walks and talks that she'll be giving later on in the year. And Chef Mark Doe from Just Cooking Cookery School in Fieries, County Kerry, provided an interesting insight into the Apprentice Chef programme for secondary school students, which is in its fifth year, and that was just before the break. If you are just tuning in, don't forget, if you've missed any of the shows so far it will be up in the podcast later in the week and you'll find it on sharonnoonan.com or subscribe free of charge and download it on itunes or you can also use the podcast app on your phone Our final interview this evening takes us into the heart of Limerick City to the site of the former tourist office. The property has been transformed into Chez Le Fab Café thanks to sterling work by Leslie-Anne Ledan and her partner Chez Reardon. Leslie-Anne gave me the tour on my visit and then we sat down together to chat about the venue and what it has to offer. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Leslie-Anne, thanks so much for having me today in Chez Le Fab. It's in Arthur's Quay in Limerick City, a very unique and novel cafe and so much more than a cafe. Uh, yeah, hi Sharon, thanks a million for, for dropping in. It's, um, it's a, an arts cafe and a wine bar and uh, we uh, are also a dog friendly cafe as well. So uh, yeah, we're here down by Arthur's Quay Park and uh, we're in the old tourist office that um, it's long gone now at this stage, but uh, we're here uh, since August last year. Now, as you say, you're open since August last year, and the the setup has it has evolved. Let's say since you opened, like you've kind of modified it to suit customer demand, for want of a better expression. That's it. And um, since we we got the wine bar license in there in December, we sort of I suppose um, split the the venue into two halves. It, it's um, it's suitable for up to a hundred seater and we've sort of developed one side of it to suit for events which we have there periodically we have maybe on a Friday night or a Saturday night and uh, we also uh, entertain some music um, gigs that come up as well we're sort of um, taking up uh, alternative music space here as well so we have a couple of things coming up Um, in particular we have um, one coming up now on Patrick's Day so we're trying to be an alternative venue for that so um, so yeah, and then the, the other half then sort of closer to see the city side uh, access the cafe than during the day. So it's very exciting for you to be doing all these different things here because you yourself were a regular or maybe still are a regular at the vintage fairs at the weekend. 
Um, that's it, yeah. I, I was hosting vintage fairs there for uh, for a year. They were out in the Castro Park Hotel, so they fell on the last Sunday of every month. And um, so the plan was to kind of have something kind of off the back of that here, but it's it's it's, it's a high high demand trying to operate uh, the cafe during the day. So what we have is we either have concession holders there that would have say jewellery or designer clothing, and then um, we have then you know say maybe every every month we might have some kind of fair then as well. So yeah, we'll have more things now coming up in the summer. It is a very eclectic environment whenever you come in with all the different there's reels here and there and knickknacks and whatnot that people can obviously buy that's it and i suppose you know there's a lot of places you go for maybe a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and you know that's it ends there you know but here as you said our tagline is an eclectic picnic by the park so we have an offering of of everything you know you can browse around and I said you could, there's even a fitting room here that you can try on clothing in so yeah we're like a one-stop shop <laughs> the music side is very important to you because your father is very musical just tell us a bit about him um, my dad uh, Jim Ladan he his um, background is in a songwriting business so he's got songwriter.co.uk if any songwriters do need some uh, advice get on to him he was involved in the radio then a number of years ago as well Orlo and uh, he had his show Solid Gold Sundays. So, yeah, I grew up with music uh, being a, a, an essential background, I think, as well. So we have that going here as well. We've always got something going on, and we've got um, you know a steady um, music offering there on Sundays. We'd have a guy who comes in here between 4 and 6, Dennis Moore, and he's proved to be very popular. You can see now people start coming in here, to, especially for him even, which is great. And we've got... Um, our open mic nights now every Wednesday we have between 7 and 10 so it's open for aspiring musicians to come in and what we offer then is if people sort of show that you know even being aspiring that they would be stage worthy we try and give them some kind of a performance slot as well so we've, we've sort of built a nice network here which is great. So it sounds then that if you are a young aspiring performer or you're somebody that is planning to enter The Voice or X Factor, one of these competitions, that this would be a great place to come to get that bit of experience to get you ready for something like that. Yeah, what we seem to get a lot of here is, we'll say, like a lot of guys that are out busking now, there's the most awful lot of them at the weekend. There seems to be just a lot of budding talent in the city and there's only so much space in the city for buskers because you know out of etiquette it's kind of you know if you've got a space you know that's it that's your space for the day so a lot of them do come down here and use the stage and have a platform to perform on and uh, you can really see the development in some of them over the weeks so some of them now are you can even see they're getting maybe support slots and uh, yeah, long may it last. You're a reluctant performer yourself, I believe. Oh, I'm not going to get into this one now, yeah. <laughs> Never make a promise under the influence. Um, there's, a, there's a pub uh, in the city called Charlie Malone's, and they, um, they're, they're a place that I've always intended to get up to, and I only got up there the other night, and they do an acoustic club there on a Tuesday. So went up there with my partner, and it was a, a novel night out for us that we don't get out very much at all. And a couple of the guys that perform here were down there, and... They saw us coming in and they're like, oh, you know, you guys, you have to take to the stage, you know, because we do it down in your place. We were like, oh, no, 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 no. So as the night went on and we really enjoyed it, one of them insisted when he heard me kind of humming along with some songs that I would, as the lady of the house, he said it, that I'd take to the stage the following day for our open mic. I'd sort of forgotten about it. He came in the next day and he said, I have it all ready for you now. I, you know, I've, I know the song you want to sing, so you'll have to come up. And I was, oh, God, no. But everyone then coaxed me into going up there so yeah I've done my I've I've, I've broken the mould so you I've gone up there you must tell us what your song is what's your party face uh, well I'm not going to do it now but um, it's uh, Janis Joplin's Mercedes Benz song it's the only song I would say that I could probably hit the notes on but I'm certainly not giving a rendition of it now <laughs> well, we, might, we might persuade you yet so Sundays sound like there are like quite a busy day because 12 o'clock you open at 12 o'clock, is it, on um, a Sunday? Well, yes, we do open from 12, but just literally since last week, um, I put it out there to um, there's members of a, a, a group that we've we've gotten together there just to update on dog-friendly events and things that happen here. Um, whether or not, if we opened at 10, exclusively between 10 and 12, for what we called a dog social club, would they like to come along and you know, try and interact, maybe kind of a, a more nervous dog with a more confident dog. And there was a huge uptake. We had up to 15 dogs here at one stage last Sunday. So it was definitely worthwhile coming in a bit earlier. So we're going to host it again now this Sunday. And 
roll it on and see how it goes. So from what I can see anyway, a lot of people are up very early on a, on a Sunday and there's nowhere to go. Cause and you are dog friendly all of the time though. We are. So just explain what exactly that means. Um, so yeah, we, as I said, we operate as the, the wine bar and a cafe and whatever our opening hours are, we are dog friendly for all of the time that we're open. That includes if there's a gig or anything like that on song, as it's not a very loud type of, of gig, a dog would be welcome to come in. It's really up, up to the, the owner to know how social their dog could be and in a situation. And whether or not going to start joining in and howling with Exactly, as we call it, canine yeah. conversations. Yes, okay, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it sounds very exciting for people that have dogs. And I also get a sense that if you're single and you have a dog... Oh, it's a massive social enabler. Absolutely massive. And we do plan on hosting events around that. Because anybody that has a dog, that walks a dog in the same place regularly, probably knows a lot of other people with dogs, doesn't actually know the dog owner's name, would know the dog's name, but not the dog owner's name. I know certainly in Newcastle West, where I live, and whenever we did have a dog, you would be talking about people that it's such and such dog's name, owner, but you didn't Absolutely. actually know the owner's name. So. We were a little guilty of that as well. We'd always know the dogs coming in here, but we've, we've made every effort to get to know the pet parent as well. Because, as you said there, it's, it's awful to just know the dog's name and not know any further. And but that's something that you've done a lot of work on and research into, and you have rules. So it's not just a case of you can rock up with your dog. Just tell us, about the dog has to be a well-socialised dog, is the first um, thing. Well, we have house rules here for a general entry for the, the dog to come in. And like everywhere, if they're out in public, they have to be on a lead. Um, what we also say then is that they would be, I suppose, used to a social situation. That's, in, we'll say, for the general kind of day, daily operation hours. We make allowances for the social on the Sunday, but then outside of that, then um, we ask that dogs uh, keep their canine conversations to a minimum because we're only dog friendly, we're not an actual pet cafe, so we don't want to impede on the comfort of the other guests that are around them. So so far, so good. We've had, uh, as I said, we could have had up to 10 dogs here during daily operations, and it's been great, you know, and everyone that's in here, even if they don't have a dog, they'll certainly go over to a dog that they want to, to go over and pet. And it's, so, it's, it's lovely. You can see that people really appreciate it as well. And if you are thinking about getting a dog, it's a great way to come in and see what sort of breeds of dogs that's are, it. And most people are, are well behaved. Yeah, that's it. And most people are very open as well. If you were to you know, stretch as far as asking a question about it, and um, we'll say with the social we have on Sunday then as well, what, what we wanted from it was um, that people could come in and say mix with some older dogs, some more mature dogs, confident dogs, and then bring along maybe say, maybe say a puppy who, you know, is, is essentially a blank canvas and they could learn from an older dog. And then you've got the rescue dogs who are very, very nervous and could take a lot of coaxing and a lot of work before they'll ever get to that level, if ever. And it, that really just depends on what they've been through. So since last Sunday had gone so well, and I'm not by any means a dog therapist myself, but what I would know from having a dog over the years, I could recognise certain behaviours. So what I proposed to them was that if there was anybody who is a qualified, say, dog behavioural um, lecturer or anything like that, that they could maybe be invited in as a guest speaker maybe some morning and everyone would put together, you know, maybe a five or head or ten or head as a kitty for their time. So they all agreed that it would be a great thing. So that's something that we're looking at. So if anyone is out there listening to this and is that type of person, maybe get in touch and we Absolutely, could have a word. Yeah. Yeah. So there's great potential in that. Absolutely, yeah. Another project that you've been involved in is related to the random act of kindness movement. There's a reel outside, or a clothing reel outside the front door here. So you better tell us about that because it's, this is really exciting, I think, at this time of the year in particular. Um, yeah, that's um, it, it, what we dubbed this. The name was um, Donate a Coat as a 24-hour, 24-7 um, appeal. And it was um, it was something that this lady, this local lady, Audrey Ryan, she's an artist and she's a, 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 a real supporter of the Novas Initiative. So she does most awful lot of work already with the homeless and we're actually members of the Focus Ireland Committee and we do a lot of um, fundraising for Midwest Simon community. Um, in particular at our open mic nights actually we, we raise funds. So um, myself and Audrey um, both had seen this thing over in London where just very simple Clothing, clothing rail was put outside and people in the community nearby were all just asked you know if you've got stuff at home just bring them in you know as long as they're kind of weather resistant coats and 
um, all the rest and put them out. So we looked at that as I suppose a sort of an example and said, we've got a canopied area, if we put it out, put it as a 24-hour-7 thing because, you know, maybe some people wouldn't like to come down when there's an activity during the day. So we've done that and it's, I think, nearly two weeks there now and ever since then, we've actually been able to witness firsthand occasions where people are coming down donating the coats and at the same time there's people and not just the homeless this is open to people who are just maybe not able to afford a warm coat at this time of year are literally coming down and thanking those people directly for that and it's it's been such a community kindness initiative as well that we really looked at that and thought god that's something that could really be rolled out in every county if if, if you know people put their minds to it all it takes is a clothing rail a couple of coats that are just, you know, there. And um, say what we got then was the likes of pennies there on O'Connell Street, donated a couple of hangers. So everything was there and it's literally taken off ever since. You've been totally overwhelmed by the response. Oh my God, absolutely. It's been, as I said, with a community kindness sort of vibe to it, it's been brilliant. So there's so much happening here between the random act of kindness, coat reel, we'll call it, the, the dog friendly side of the business, the, the alternative music scene, the vintage clothing and, and knickknacks and bits and pieces. So you're very busy. Absolutely, yep. <laughs> and I'd say, are you drawing on your hotel management experience that you got from GMIT? Um, I was a TMTP student there, so I, I did that program um, on a kind of a sort of a, a part-time basis where I was actually working full-time at the time. I was working in Castor Park Hotel. So I was full-time working there and I was a part-time student and it was spread over three years and the programme was actually via Fall to Ireland. So for me, I would have said I probably wasn't the most studious maybe at school, so it probably worked out best for me to kind of do the part-time study and the full-time work. So um, yeah, I graduated back in 2007 and ever since then I've been involved mostly in hotels and I then, um, in the last couple of years, had, I suppose, gotten away from hotels and went into recruitment and then I went into an office job as a PA and an office manager and I was always craving the sort of forward-facing uh, interaction, you know, people-pleasing and I sort of felt I needed to get back to that. So what we've achieved now, myself and my partner Shay, um, who's, who's unfortunately too busy to join in on this uh, conversation at the moment, but I'll speak on his behalf. So between the two of us with our hotel background experience, what we've got here is, you know, it, it draws on so many of our experiences and um, yeah, we're so far so good. <laughs> has, it, has this been a bit of a dream come true for you to do this? Is this something that, you know, whenever you were a child, for example, you thought, yeah, I'd like to do that someday? Well, yeah, I suppose um, I used to be brought to London quite a lot with Dad when he was going over to his offices. So it is something that I was, I was brought up being around and I was always in and around the hotels in London and I would see a lot of the, the markets and the fairs over there. I was fascinated by so. I suppose over the years, yeah, you do. You think ahead and you think, oh, I'd love to do something like that someday. And I remember looking up at my mum one day going, I'd love to open a coffee shop or, you know, something like, you know, a B&B or anything like that. And she looked at me, she goes, just so you know now, once you do that, that's, you know, you're very committed to that and that's, you know, you have to centre your sort of life around it. And, and essentially, yeah, she was right. I mean, we are doing that at the moment. Our, our social lives are within, within the venue, but having you know so many things going on in here and a lot of people that we know come in and all the, the gigs that we've got coming up as well it's it's kind of like having a social life at work of course yeah which it, it works out great <laughs> and and it's ticking all the boxes for the things that you love in life between like fashion the vintage side wine yes dogs you'll have to get your oh own God, dog yeah. now. i think that's it. Fab dog. Yeah. well myself and she look at ourselves as being the aunt and uncle that you know get to enjoy all of the time with the dog we'll say while they're here and then hand him back <laughs> how did you come up with the name Shayla fab well we both um when we were thinking about uh, opening a business together i had been running the vintage fairs on a part-time basis monthly and I'd call them the absolutely fabulous vintage fairs so the sort of the fab part was something I wanted to marry up in a way so that people knew ah that's you know the things she's been involved in so I looked and I went oh you know what could we do and I said hang on if we took your name being S-H-A-Y but we gave it the French version and it sounds the same we could just call it Sheila Fab. Excellent. <laughs> so, yeah, we thought, hmm, okay, we'll go with that and just see, sure, what way it works out. 
yeah, a lot of people, when they hear his name, maybe Shay isn't that much of a popular name, they think they hear Shane, and he just goes, what's the name of this cafe? There you go. <laughs> but it is Shay C-H-E-Z. That's it. Le Fab. Okay, great. Well, listen, it's been lovely to talk to you today. You too, Sharon. For Thanks. events coming up in the future, people can get all the details. We have a dedicated Facebook page at the moment. So if you go onto Facebook and you go to Shay Le Fab Cafe Bar, you'll find us. Um, we're also active on Twitter. So it's Shay underscore L-E underscore F-A-B, Shay Le Fab. And we're on Instagram with the same um, handle. And uh, we have a website in development at the moment. So when that is um, uh, all together there, it'll be shaylafab.com. But it's under construction at the moment. Lovely. Well, we will keep an eye on all of those outlets and to, to make sure we know what you're up to. And in the meantime, best of luck with everything. Brilliant. Thanks for sharing. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. So that was Leslie Anne Ledan from Shayla Fab Cafe in Limerick. And as I couldn't persuade her to give us a rendition of her party piece Mercedes Benz, I thought it'd be nice to finish the show with a little bit of Janice herself. Thanks again to Leslie Ann for talking to me and also to tonight's other guests, Teresa Story and Mark Doe. Until next week, when Ireland's leading hospitality guide, Georgina Campbell, returns with details about the February winner of the Board Be It Just Ask initiative. And we'll have other great food and drink stories to share with you, maybe even a few pancakes. So until then, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!